KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. I don't have to tell you that we've been dealing with a lot on the health front lately. Obviously, COVID 19 is still here. In the last few months, monkeypox has emerged as a big concern. And then, not that long ago in July, we got word out of New York State that a case of polio had been confirmed there. We wanted to talk all things polio, so we caught up with Dr. Abby Rudolph. She is an associate professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at Temple University's College of Public Health. So to start, what is polio? This is a virus, correct? Right. So polio or poliomyelitis, which is the longer version, basically what we describe as polio is referring to the paralytic disease. So that form of the disease is debilitating and life-threatening. However, the majority of people that are infected with the virus actually don't experience symptoms or they might experience relatively mild flu-like symptoms that go away on their own. How do you catch it? How is it transmitted? Poliovirus enters the body through the mouth and then it multiplies in the part of your throat at the back of the mouth and then also in the gastrointestinal tract. So when you're infected with the virus, it can be excreted in the stools for up to six weeks, even in those that don't have symptoms. So you can transmit disease even if you don't experience symptoms or don't know that you have it. This is the primary way that people are infected, so fecal to oral. So basically somebody that is infected with the virus, maybe their hands get contaminated and then they contaminate uh, food utensils or food or water, and then another person ingests it and becomes infected. Because it's also multiplying in the back part of the throat, it can also be secreted in saliva or through um, like coughs or sneezes, but it's usually secreted for a shorter duration, like one to two weeks. So those are not the primary modes of transmission. The primary mode is the fecal to oral route. How contagious is this? Is it something that it is very easy to spread, very easy to catch? So if you are unvaccinated, it's highly contagious. Um, If you think about household contacts for unvaccinated household contacts, between 90-100% of household contacts will become infected, usually uh, like 100% of children, 90% of adults, particularly a problem for unvaccinated children under five. Um, However, the vaccine does offer good protection against infection. So it depends on whether or not you're vaccinated, sort of your risk of being infected. So we recently had a case confirmed in New York State. How alarming is that? Because am I correct? It was the first case in the U.S. since 2013, so almost a decade. The last case that was traced to an oral vaccine was in 2013. And then the case that we've had before that in the United States was in 1993, and that was a wild virus that was brought in to the U.S. by an infected traveler. So we haven't had any cases of polio that originated in the U.S. since 1979. And so in terms of how alarming this is, it's not completely unexpected because there was some vaccine-derived poliovirus that they found in sewage samples in England between February and June of this year. So given sort of disruptions in normal vaccination schedules and the fact that travel is beginning to increase since during COVID it was reduced, 
there's a greater likelihood of vaccine-related cases of polio being imported into the United States, particularly in travelers that were unvaccinated. Um, However, this particular case that was discovered in Rockland County, New York, um, the patient was a 21-year-old male. He actually hadn't traveled. It's more likely that somebody else in the community traveled that was unvaccinated, acquired the infection, but maybe didn't know that they were infected. Um, They were shedding the virus and then transmitted the infection to this person. The other thing that I wanted to mention was that the reason that this was actually, that people got alerted to it was that in June of 2022, the health department sent out a notice to warn about another paralytic disease. It was for acute flaccid myelitis, and it's it causes a polio-like symptom in children and can lead to paralysis. So the doctor initially thought that it was this case, so the doctor sent the sample to the state authorities. Rather than confirming that disease, they actually confirmed that it was polio. And then when they sequenced it, they determined that it wasn't a wild type of polio. It was a vaccine-derived type of polio. So pol- the polio vaccine uses the virus. Yeah. So ex- explain that to me. Yeah. So there's two types of, mainly two types of poliovirus. So I'll, I'll first start off by saying that there's only two countries in the world right now that have wild virus circulating. So that's Afghanistan um, and Pakistan. And in the past year, there have only been 13 cases of this wild type polio. The two types of vaccines that we use are the one that is the weakened virus that's administered orally. So that can be sort of drops that you swallow or a sugar cube. And this contains uh, a weakened virus. You shouldn't develop symptoms from the virus, but in rare occasions, so it's like two to four per 1 million persons can develop paralytic polio. And so there are advantages of this vaccine. It causes you to develop both humoral immunity, which is basically antibodies in your blood, but also mucosal immunity. So it goes into your gut and creates immunity, and that's where the virus is replicating. So it's good to have immunity where the virus is going to infect you. Um, So basically, if you get infected, then your immunity that's in your stomach will basically prevent the, the virus from replicating as much and will reduce the amount that you excrete, reducing your likelihood of being able to transmit to other people. The other sort of advantage of this in areas that have low community vaccination is that the oral vaccine is actually excreted in your stools. So you can basically passively pass on the the, um, immunity through fecal to oral transmission to other people. The problem is that if you have a large group of unvaccinated people over time, as this secondary transmission of this virus sort of um, immunity, it can mutate and combine with sort of other sort of viruses to revert into a form that causes paralytic polio. So this can then transmit paralytic polio to other cases, which is what happened in this case. The other type of vaccine, which is the type of vaccine that we use in the U.S., is a dead vaccine. So it doesn't have the possibility of having this vaccine-associated paralytic polio, but it only creates immunity through the um, humoral response. So it only creates the antibodies, doesn't create that gut immunity. 
So if you become infected with some other form of polio, you will continue to excrete the virus. So it does a good job at preventing you from developing the polio form, but it means that you can transmit it to other people better. So most places don't switch from the oral vaccine that has the attenuated virus to the inactivated vaccine until they've eliminated sort of wild polio. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And one of the things with COVID we've learned is you can get COVID and the the vast majority of people get over it after a certain amount of time. But there are a lot of people that are dealing with long COVID symptoms that last for an indeterminate amount of time. With polio, you get it. You talk about the possibility of paralysis. But once, if you're one of those that only gets mildly ill, is that it? Or can there be more after that? Yeah, so COVID isn't unique as one of the viral infections that can cause um, post-viral complications. Um, Post-polio syndrome is not very well understood, but it's characterized by the onset of fatigue, uh, muscle weakness, and muscle shrinkage in patients that have recovered from uh, paralytic polio. And it can happen several years after you have acute disease. Even in children that seem to fully recover, they can you know, 15 to 40 years later, they can start to develop new muscle pain or weakness or paralysis as adults. So it is one of those things that sometimes happens with viral infections. We need to take a break. We will continue our conversation with Dr. Abby Rudolph right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation about polio with Dr. Abby Rudolph. The polio vaccine, that is something... In the U.S., that's part of our childhood vaccinations? Yeah. So the vaccine uh, schedule in the U.S. is you're supposed to get it as part of your routine childhood vaccinations, uh, two months, four months, six to 18 months. And then the fourth fourth dose is usually between four and six years of age, um, usually before you start to enter school. If you have... Uh, two doses, it confers about 90% immunity. If you have three doses, it's about 99% immunity. And they recommend for best protection to have uh, four doses. In general, the U.S. has about 92% of U.S. children that are vaccinated by age two. Um, The one thing about Rockland County, which is where this polio case was um, found, is that um, I've seen Two different reports. One said that only about 42% of children had the recommended childhood vaccinations last year. Um, another had said 60%, so I'm not sure, but definitely less than the 80% immunization target that is recommended for herd immunity. And so in this particular community of Rockland, they are um, less immunized. It was actually the same county. If you remember back in uh, 2018, 2019, there was a large outbreak of measles that Mm -hmm. had over 150 cases. That was in the same county. It's an Orthodox Jewish community, which has generally low vaccination rates due to some mistrust of vaccines, even though um, the religious leaders encourage vaccination. And so in areas where you introduce an infectious disease and there is low immunization, 
that's where the greatest concern is because there's the most people that are susceptible to be able to acquire this, you know, infection that we've basically eliminated. Vaccines because of COVID became such a political flashpoint and it's kind of there's always been an anti-vax community in the US, but I feel like it was kind of put on steroids because of COVID-19. Because that is a growing slice of the pie, people that don't want to get vaccinated or or really push hard against should we brace for more of this that there could be more populations where this gets introduced uh and the community vaccination level isn't where it needs to be or do you think this is likely a one-off this is not going to be something that's going to crop up uh now and then throughout the country well most of these diseases they're called vaccine preventable diseases and the only reason that we've been able to eliminate them is because of vaccines the number of people that were vaccinated against measles has declined. And in 2019, we had 1,200 cases of measles. That was the largest number of cases in the U.S. since 1992. Um, in 2000, we had declared that it was eliminated in the United States. So that's concerning. I mean, there were disruptions in sort of regular routine vaccinations due to people's mistrust of vaccines, but also just disruptions of people using healthcare. So just kids missing their routine vaccination schedules. Measles is a very infectious disease. It's very contagious, which means that we have to have a very large fraction of the population vaccinated to prevent an outbreak. So not having optimal vaccination for something like measles is very, very concerning. You know, I think that maybe people, since we haven't had these diseases around, they they don't really remember how severe infections might have been. And so when you're sort of weighing the trade-offs of vaccination versus disease, and you haven't experienced the disease or seen the disease, um, people might be less likely to be vaccinated. But I think it's very important to prevent outbreaks of diseases that we rarely see today. I mean, it's, it's solely due to the success of vaccines, not that these just, you know, disappeared on their own. As someone who works in public health, how frustrating is it to have these situations, as you point out, you know, these are diseases that vaccines, you know, eliminated for a time, they're vaccine preventable diseases. Just kind of how frustrating is it that like the answer to the question is sitting there, but people don't want to hear it? As a, as a public health professional, I know the value of vaccines. They led to eradication of smallpox polio. I mentioned it's only circulating in the wild form in two places. So we're very close to eradicating polio. Like that is on the horizon, something that's achievable. Um, And once we achieve polio eradication, then we can switch to a different vaccine, which doesn't cause this vaccine-associated polio. I think that we can control the polio out outbreak or at least prevent an outbreak through immunization so that it doesn't cause a major problem in this particular case. The other thing is that there's a new oral um, vaccine that they are using under sort of emergency use testing, which doesn't have that vaccine associated polio as a complication. So they basically genetically engineered it so it doesn't mutate as much. So that's really promising. But it is frustrating when we make progress and then we slide back because of 
people not wanting to be vaccinated. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.